Hayes, Alexander, Shabbat for three, bang, oh! will get it for the win. What's going on guys? Welcome to Dime Dropper, second night of our 2021-2022 NBA postgame recaps. Before we get started, please make sure to subscribe on YouTube at Dime Dropper Podcast and follow us on all social media platforms at Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Dime Dropper Pod. For tonight's recap, I'm going to be talking Clippers opening night against the Warriors. I'll be briefly talking about the Dodgers staying alive and then I will have to talk about two games that happened yesterday. One was one of the craziest opening nights I have ever seen in my 17 years watching basketball with the Celtics and the Knicks. And then the Chicago Bulls, our other dime dropper team, against the Detroit Pistons. I did watch that game, and I want to tell you guys about the Bulls because they're very fascinating. But let's start with the Clippers and the Warriors it was an exciting game, and I just want to say before I get started, because I apologize because I didn't get a Clipper season preview out there, everybody, but I just I guess I just didn't have the time for it, and I just was so busy worried about the other teams that I didn't get to doing it, but I'm going to give you, there's nobody better to follow if you want to know about how the Clippers are doing in the season than me, so fuck a preview. You're going to be getting as close up to the Clippers as you can get, unless I was a season ticket holder doing all this, but that would make me not be able to go live with you guys after the games. So anyway, let's get into the stuff tonight. Clippers, new look, not really. We're very similar team to last year, which I like. But Eric Bledsoe making his return to the Clippers. And he was a guy that was with us for three years, 2010 to 2013. He was one of the most liked players on the team, off the bench, just instant energy, amazing defense, could attack the basket, and just played hard. Uh, never was a great shooter, still isn't a great shooter, not reliable at the line, not the highest basketball IQ, and a lot of people were very critical of the Clippers' move to bring him back. That was the last time I talked Clippers basketball on my channel, which was reacting to the trade, and you know it sucks to see Patrick Beverly go, but Eric Bledsoe is one of our own, so I'm not saddened to see him back. I'm always going to root for him, and I'm always going to be optimistic about him, so tonight, he proved all of us right with the way that he played in that first quarter. I, so, by the way, I, I don't know if I'm a huge fan of him in the starting lineup. I was, as a fan, wanted to see Terrence in the starting lineup. Or we play with Nico Batum when he comes back and Marcus Morris Sr. and Paul George at the two. Basically, I would like Paul George at the two. Uh, but you know what? Tonight, Eric Bledsoe played really well. So, I'm not really tripping off that. Um, you know who else played really well, though, was Stephen Curry. Uh, you know, after that game against the Lakers that we talked about the other night, you knew he was pretty due for a big game. And he came out scorching hot, but I also think that after he hit the first two shots and, you know, Wiggins hit a couple open threes in the beginning of the game, and of course, you know, this is their first time seeing a packed chase center. They didn't get to play in the playoffs. So, you know, they really haven't had a... There's a bit, There's been about three games at Chase Center that the Warrior fans have actually had the belief that they're going to make the playoffs. And those were the very first games when they moved in when Steph was healthy. Um, in 2019-20, yeah. 
So other than that, they haven't had to see their team, and they were excited, and the momentum is big, and I think the Clippers got really rattled in the beginning and started rushing things, playing a lot of iso ball. It was a lot of stand around and watch either Reggie, Eric, or Paul George work. And you know the Warriors switch everything on, on a lot of schemes, and when they do that, they're trying to make you play iso ball, and that was what they were doing, and Reggie didn't start off well, and he kind of deferred to Eric, and some of those finishes that Eric was doing – you know, just running to the rim. And you know what? Clipper Nation, be aware. He's going to pick up some offensive fouls this season with the way he plays. He kind of just rams in out of control sometimes. But the fact that he was just throwing it up there and he seemed to make everything, like all these runners just throwing him up there. And he was even hitting his jumper. I just thought that was extremely impressive and something that you're so encouraged seeing as a Clipper fan. And also... You know, yeah, so Steph went went off, but I didn't like the way we were defending him because after you saw him hit a couple of those threes in the beginning, I think we may have gotten a little scared off by the fact that I think Wiggins and Poole hit shots in the first quarter because I think that we were paying Steph too much respect. I'm sorry, too little respect in the sense that we were kind of just, you know, set, playing him one-on-one straight up or he came off a screen and we wouldn't throw two at him every single time the way the Lakers were doing. We were kind of... Because the Lakers kind of got burned by the supporting cast, Jordan Poole, Nemanja Bielitsa, you know, other guys doing things. So I think that we were trying to make Steph, you know, go one-on-one a little bit and see if he would have one of those nights. And that dude does not need much to get going. I mean, you give him an inch, he goes nuts. 25 points in the first quarter, he exploded. And you knew that was coming after that performance here in Los Angeles. Uh, but I think that we made it too easy for him. Like, I remember there was one play where he came off the baseline, you know, classic, pin down, whatever. Coming to the three-point line and Terrence Mann's getting hit with a screen. Okay, this guy who the screener who's guarding the screener needs to jump on a step. Anyone but Steph. Exactly the way the Lakers were doing it, and we got burned by not doing that in that first quarter. And honestly, I think it ended up being the difference in the game in the sense that we kind of dug ourselves a little bit of a hole. And you know, I think that if you on a night like this where Steph plays so well, I think that we need to be ahead a little bit more. Like playing when Steph's shooting well and then you leave it close for him at home at and when no Kawhi, he's clearly the best player on the floor. I think that it's it's your advantage warriors, basically. And I think that's what we did tonight. I mean, 44-27 after the first quarter. I thought that Paul George, though, started off pretty well. My nerves were in the beginning where are we going to get much offense away from Paul? He played the whole first, and I was just afraid when he that he, when he went to the bench we were going to crumble because I noticed that when we – I didn't realize that we didn't have Batum. Uh, so I'm looking at our lineup, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. Like, are we just going to go with – is are Terrence and Luke Kennard the only bench players that I trust? Because Amir Coffey, yeah – I did say that I wanted Brewmaster getting more minutes uh, this season. But I, that doesn't mean that I know that he's going to be a regular rotation piece and that he's ready to be a regular rotation piece for this Clipper ball club. And also Justice Winslow's first game. So there's, you know, I was a little bit nervous going into that second unit. But in the second quarter, I thought we did a good job in the non-PG, non-Curry minutes. I thought we were the better team. Uh, I thought Justice Winslow actually showed some really good energy. And he clearly like wants to make an impact here. Uh, because, you know, he was a high draft pick. And I remember him at uh, Duke. He was the player. I'm pretty sure he was the best player in that Final Four in 2015. And he was fantastic. And I know that he, you know, he made some nice high IQ cuts today. Pick and roll action with PG. Got a layup off of. Yeah, he scored four points. One was off a roll. And one was off a nice cut that I'm pretty sure either. 
It was either Terrence Mann or Luke Kennard that fed him the ball in that second half. He only played 14 minutes, Justice Winslow, but I liked what I saw. 4.6 rebounds, 2 of 4. So I thought he was pretty good. Luke Kennard coming off the bench. Like, we started inching a little bit closer without Steph in the game in that second quarter. And slowly but surely started catching up. But it really got triggered when Paul George just went off in that the end of that second quarter. But it was really Eric Bledsoe that kept us in that game with his shot making. It was unbelievable. And I want to still talk about those pre-Steph coming back in moments because Luke Kennard, yeah, he was 3 of 9, but Clipper fans, I was very encouraged by his performance tonight. He was plus 19, the highest on the team. And I, that's, I'm not saying he played, I'm encouraged because of that. I'm just looking at that. But because I saw the confidence that he looked like he played with, we know, Clipper fans know, Luke Kennard, there was a whole thing about him last season about shoot the ball. You're such a sniper. If you got a good look, you got to shoot that thing. And Luke Kennard at times would be hesitant coming into this team and Ty Lue would bench him in my opinion as you remember from last year's lives overly critic a little bit overly harsh on him but you know you know even though he went a little cold in that Western Conference Finals against the Suns Luke Kennard was great in the playoffs he was awesome when he got his chances last season and he has so much more to give and I think that Luke or Nuke when he when he starts shooting really well he looked better tonight and he looked more confident defensively too I just like the way he was moving um, and you know, I think that we had some switchability too, especially when they have guys like Damian Lee, Jordan Poole and Curry, like if Reggie Jackson's on Curry, which I'm not saying I like that, but I'm saying if he's on it, it doesn't really matter if he gets Luke switched on to him. You know what I'm saying? It's like for like at that point, but I think we do a good job of knowing who to switch and who to not switch. And I think that comes with one great coaching, which we have shout out to Ty Lue starting his second season with our ball club. And I would not rather have any guy right now in the league leading this team. Um, quite frankly. And it also, yeah, great coaching and chemistry. And that's something that we have. And that's one thing that you can say is good about the fact that we haven't had much roster turnover is that we know each other's tendencies and we've played with each other and we're largely returning the same team. But what I loved about when Curry came back into the game, and by the way, I think that we need to get Terrence Mann involved a little more as a ball handler as opposed to just a corner guy or a weak side cutter. I think that Terrence needs to mature a little bit as a playmaker this season because I think he has the potential to do it because I don't think his mid-range is that bad at all on a stop-and-pop situation. And I don't and I think he's great going to the rim. Only thing is he really heavily favors his right, and he's really good going right. Um, but I don't know. I, I like Terrence because without Kawhi, you know, inevitably guys are going to get injured at some point. Not everyone's going to be fully healthy every game. So I would like Terrence to get a little bit more touches as the ball handler going forward. Other than that, though, when Curry came back into the game, we clearly were paying him more attention. We made the necessary adjustments, throwing two on him whenever we could, being more physical with him off the ball. And I've said this a lot of times, and the Curry stands and fanboys don't like it, but when the refs allow people to get more physical with Curry, just like we saw with Dylan Brooks, just like we saw in the 2016 finals, he is not just OP cheat code mode as hell. Because you can try to keep him off the ball and really play denied defense more. And, general, you know, he's not the biggest guy in the world. He's 6'3". He's the most unstoppable you can get for being his size. There's no doubt about that to me. But he's still 6'3", like 190 or 200, whatever he is. 210 at most. I don't know what, he, what he's at. But Terrence Mann and Eric Bledsoe did a fantastic job off the ball and even on the ball in situations. Just knowing when to switch, just putting pressure on him. Terrence especially. 
Uh, but Eric Bledsoe was throwing himself onto the floor on so many plays tonight. He was just, and getting rebounds, he was so hungry to be back in that red, white, and blue. And I was happy to see it. Uh, somebody who I think is our worst defender in the starting lineup is Marcus Morris Sr. Some might say it's Reggie Jackson. I'd probably have to, it's a debatable one. I think Sr., when he's on and he's focused and he's motivated to play defense, he's better defensively than Reggie because he's strong and, you know, he's he, he's not afraid to get nasty. But Reggie Jackson, see, just right now, at t- he has less lapses to me on defense these days. These days meaning, you know, since we traded Lou away, basically. I think that Sr. sometimes can be very lazy on closeouts and be lackadaisical off the ball. Uh, Paul George, by the way, I feel like I'm s- sorry, Clipper Nation or fi- uh, guys that have, haven't really talked about him enough yet because the end of the second quarter, you know, I'm talking about all these defensive things we're doing, but in the end of that second quarter, Bledsoe kept us afloat. Paul George really got us back in that game. He started getting in his bag, hitting threes. There was this one three on that left wing. I forgot it was, I think it was Damian Lee guarding him. Just one dribble in rhythm, rise up, cash in his face. He was just getting going, and he had like three or four beautiful lefty finishes tonight, man, in traffic. And PG, the one thing I will say about Paul, though, his turnover tendencies, like, you know, he high turnover as our best player does scare me a little bit because, you know, I think Kawhi does a better job of taking care of the ball or when he gets turnovers, it's usually like travels or offensive fouls, which stop the ball. That's another thing about these, you know, box score people, you know, turnovers, it's a difference when turnovers are scored off of and you lose the ball or throw the ball away or lose the ball in live play and you can get punished off that. It's different than when you offensive foul. Okay. Your defense can set. And Paul George gets a lot of those type of turnovers for someone with as great a handle as PG has. He sure gets stripped a lot and he's going to be seeing those blitzes all year long. Or hard hedges, they're gonna throw two at him off screens because they want to make they want to make someone else beat beat them. But we've got we got guys all over the floor uh, that can shoot that thing, which makes it easier for Paul. And I noticed that we were trying to get Curry going a lot in the pick and roll, like attacking him on defense. That's one thing about Curry. You know, he's not a bad defender. I think people are, are a little harsh on him as a defender. He's not as bad a defender as people make him out to be. But he still is, you know, you want to make him work. You know, he's not a great defender, and he's literally their engine on offense. So you need to make him work, and I thought we did a pretty good job of that in the first half, and PG was taking advantage of that. Eric Bledsoe was doing really, really good on those short rolls. But, yeah, we went into that half. Second half was pretty good we were still staying pretty pretty well on curry terrence Mann started making himself more of a presence you know when he hit that corner three in the left corner in that third quarter i knew that he was coming alive and he was doing a lot of great things and terrence as i said i think he has potential because he, he can pass the ball better than people realize uh he only got Three, oh, he had three assists tonight. And that's what I'm saying. I think he can handle the ball a little more. He can be a four or five assist guy if we just give him a little bit more playmaking responsibilities. Marcus Morris Sr., I think we should have gotten him going a little bit more tonight offensively, but he was also very low minutes tonight. Only 25 minutes for Sr. And I honestly think he should have gotten a little bit more. The only thing is his defense can be a little sus at times, but I do love Terrence Mann getting 39 minutes at the expense of Senior getting 25 because at least with Terrence, he's just going to work so hard. But Luke Kennard got 24 minutes, Senior 25. Eh, I don't know. I'd probably rather see Luke get a little bit less and maybe a mere coffee. It's going to be Batum, so you know it'll be interesting to see if Coffee and Winslow, how much they get minutes going forward when Batum comes back. 
But yeah, I'd like to see Senior get around 30 minutes, 29 minutes. I think he should get 10 shots a game, bare minimum. He's way too efficient to only get seven shots. And I think that he was a little out of rhythm on those on those threes later in the fourth quarter that he missed. He did make his last shot, that left corner three, which was the toughest shot probably that he took all night. But yeah, we outscored the Warriors 40-22 to in that second quarter. But yeah, third quarter... As I said, Terrence Mann was going. Reggie Jackson finally started to hit. And I think that Eric Bledsoe having the ball a lot kind of took away from Reggie Jackson. But I liked how Reggie honestly started chucking a little bit more in the second half. Yeah, he wasn't that efficient, but that's going to happen. Reggie's going to have his nights where he's going to go off, though. So I'm not tripping off that. Uh, He was 4 for 19, but I don't think that too many shots were that bad. I think those are Reggie shots. And Reggie needs to be going. And I still think Reggie Jackson needs to be our second guy. Um, scoring the ball after Paul. I think he needs to be our second leading scorer for us to get where we want to get and get a comfortable playoff spot without having to play in the plan. But it's just tonight didn't fall for him. Thankfully, Eric Bledsoe, this is the thing about Bledsoe that I'm worried about though. I'm afraid that a night like tonight could give him more offensive confidence than need be and that he won't actually be hitting those crazy runners where he's drawing contact and throwing it up there or those jumpers that he hit in the first half However, he did come back to earth a little bit in the second half of those jumpers, for sure. So, you know, that's what I'm saying. I mean, I don't think any of them were really bad shots. In the fourth quarter, he did have one on the short roll when we were up by one that he missed in and out. And then uh, there was another play where I was pretty surprised, you know, later in the game. Going into the going into the fourth quarter, up by three, and Curry was on the bench. I think we probably should have made a little more separation. I think we had it up to, to eight at one point, 98-90. It was at least 96-90. I mean, we had the advantage. I honestly thought we were going to win at that point. Um, another guy I want to I wanna talk about is also Ivica Zubats before I go any further on the fourth quarter. I thought that Zoo in his 17 minutes, yeah, I guess he was minus 13, but I honestly liked what I saw from Zoo for the most part. He had 14 points. I think his defense wasn't. I mean, he's a big, so it's a little different when the Warriors are playing total small ball. He's not used to being out there in the perimeter, so it wasn't the best matchup for him. But I thought that offensively, I mean, 4 for 7, 6 of 10 from the line. Would have liked to see him go 7 for 10. Could have made a difference later in the game. Uh, 14 points, though, is pretty solid. I thought he went up pretty strong when he got the ball, and he actually made some nice little post moves. He had a nice jump hook, and Reggie Miller was giving him way too much love and commentary. He was acting like he was – you would have th- thought he was talking about Pau Gasol amazing footwork, great hands. Come on now, Zoo's hands can be suspect as shit. But I still think that Zoo has potential as a big in terms of he has some fundamental, you know, skills, you know, European big man, touch around the rim, where if he can be a guy that we can go to and say, yo, can you get us a bucket in the post one-on-one? I'm not saying, you know, Jokic style or Embiid, or, but like even a little bit below a DeAndre Ayton level type of uh, uh, one-on-one threat. Dump the ball down, especially on mismatches, but even against his own position. I think that's something that people don't realize about modern bigs is that when you compare him to old bigs, these, are these guys scoring on other seven-footers, other big guys? Because Zoo sometimes, depending on the matchup, he really just loses his confidence. I think it's a lot more mental with Zoo, honestly. And I think that we need to look to do that. If we can make him another another go-to kind of guy, especially in this season where we're going to have Kawhi out and there's going to be times where we're not scoring uh, much, like droughts. Zoo getting a bucket inside, getting to the line, putting pressure on the defense like that. If Zoo can take that next step and just be a guy that we can rely on for you know, 13, 14, 15 points a night even maybe, get him a reliable bucket 
instead of just a roller offensive rebound kind of guy, oof, our championship chances when Kawhi come back dr- drastically improve. But let's go to that fourth quarter. You know, I don't think we made as much separation as we should have in that fourth quarter when Curry was out. But I do think that Damian Lee, you know, his floater game was suspect, I might say. But I think that Damian Lee made some some big shots. For example, there, I think he made a go-ahead shot from the left corner. There was one, actually, no, he made the go-ahead shot from the right corner, and then he doubled down the next, a couple possessions later from the left corner, contested. And I think that we gave him rhythm because he hadn't actually, he wasn't really making shots like that. Damian Lee, three of eight. Yeah, he wasn't. He made one shot before that, and I'm pretty sure it was a layup. I don't remember. Yeah, he made two threes. Those were the two threes. So it was 98-96, I believe. Yeah, 98-96. I'm looking at Marcus Morris Sr. I think it was an offensive rebound the Warriors got. Damian Lee is cutting baseline. He's wide open under the basket, but the Warriors don't see it. And I'm looking at Marcus Morris Sr. like, bro, are you going to look over your right shoulder to see if there's someone under the basket? You're the last line of defense, but brother. Didn't even look at him. And he's just waltzing to the left corner. Then Draymond or whoever it was threw him the ball in the right corner. And Senior's like, oh, I'm just going to run out there now. Too late, my guy. Too late. He hits the shot. We call a timeout. He comes back and he hits a left wing three looking like he's freaking <laughs> Clay Thompson out there. Actually, no. I don't even remember. Clay Thompson doesn't even hit those standstill threes like that. He's looking like Paul George on that. For real. But I thought we still responded well. And we clearly... Clearly, whether it was Reggie handling the ball or Paul handling the, handling the ball, we tried to attack Steph Curry in that pick and roll late in the game. Personally, though, it's you know Paul George shot twenty three times, but to be honest, I think he should have shot more. I think that he didn't shoot it. Here's what I remember: I don't remember exactly how many shots he ended with after the first half, but I remember him being nine for twelve at one point in that first half, if I'm not mistaken. So that means he only shot like 11 shots in the second half. I honestly thought that he should have shot more. I honestly think Paul George in a game where, you know, the Clippers shot 95 times, the Warriors shot 83 times. But if we're shooting 90 plus shots in a game, I want Paul George shooting at least 25 shots. Between 25 to 30, unless he's not hitting. Tonight, he was hot. And I don't think we went went to him enough in the second half. And I think that Bledsoe and Reggie Jackson are two type of players where they have, one thing you can say about them is they never lack confidence. If anything, you want them to chill sometimes. And I think that they need to also at times understand this is Paul George's team. Paul George is a guy that can be in the MVP discussion if he is if he is playing at his best. 29 points, 11 rebounds, and 6 assists are great numbers. Fantastic. MVP-like numbers, you know, if that's what he averaged hypothetically. 12 of 23, 5 of 11 from 3, insane efficiency. Zero free throw attempts, though. Not like the first time we've seen that. We know how the refs are with Paul. That being said, I don't think Paul got to the rim enough in the second half. In the first half, he did. He got away with, like, he wasn't he wasn't getting a friendly whistle. He could have gotten some and ones on those lefty finishes. Uh, but he scored. So, you know, I'm not complaining. Second half, though, I think I think maybe that was part of the reason why, though, he wasn't getting those calls. However, he was scoring, so he no excuses. He should have gotten to get to the rim more, but he will. I have confidence that he will because in the comp, in the playoffs he did it, and I know he's going to watch tape, and he's going to say, oh, zero free throw attempts? Let me get to the line next game against Memphis. And, you know, overall, I just think we should have gone to him more late in the game. I think Reggie started hitting some shots, so he was inclined to take some shots, and I have no problem with it. I mean, Reggie got us to the conference finals. As Clipper fans, I'm not going to be mad if he takes a couple more shots than he should in an opening night against the Warriors, man. It's so different watching the games now. I'm so much more calm and just enjoying it all. 
Uh, but Bledsoe, yeah, he started to go cold at the end. I was pretty surprised late in the game that Ty Lue drew up a playoff a timeout for Bledsoe to flash to the foul line and shoot a mid-range off a catch. I just thought that was awkward because I just don't think he's that. That's not a Bledsoe off the catch mid-range. It's just not what I would like. But, you know, overall, I'm not mad at Eric. He had a great game. You know, Steph Curry won the Warriors the game because ultimately he was the best player on the floor and he asserted himself at the end. He made two huge threes. And I think that last possession that Paul George was in the corner, like, stuck. I think we should have just moved the ball a little quicker and just... I do think, though, that Paul shooting that shot and missing was the reason why he made the next shot. He didn't shot enough in the fourth quarter. And part of that's because... And I saw it, guys, too. Part of that's because... You saw Ty Lue screaming at Paul George to put Steph Curry in the pick and roll. He pointed out and he said, go, what are you waiting for? Put his ass in the pick and roll. And we did. And I think that we got Eric Bledsoe on a short roll. And I think he laid it in with the left hand. I'm pretty sure that's what happened. But then Steph came down the other way and made a three. And you got to give Steph credit, man. He's arguably the best player in the league through two games. He's looking like right up there with Giannis and KD. And we'll see about LeBron. He plays again tomorrow. We will be live after that game tomorrow night, Laker fans. I hope to see you. 41 people in the live right now. Uh, that's pretty good, but I expect more, especially after a Clippers loss. Come on, guys. What am I doing wrong? HD. Dime. HD. Sorry. Sorry to the Spotify and Apple podcast people that think I'm sounding crazy right now. But anyway, the Warriors win the game. But as a Clipper fan, guys, I am not tripping off this at all. Reggie Jackson had a poor night. He's going to shoot better. He and Bledsoe are going to learn each other's tendencies more. We're not going to be playing against Steph Curry every night in the home opener coming off a bad shooting night where he's fiending. We're going to be fine. Nico Batum, one of our most important five players, arguably, without Kawhi, honestly, wasn't playing tonight. And he's going to be there on Saturday. And guess who else is going to be there on Saturday? Your boy. Of course, you think I'm going to miss opening night when they're charging like $10 for tickets? Come on, son. You're going to be there getting a vlog. And by the way, my Dodger vlog is coming tomorrow. And I know that we lost, but still, I would appreciate some views on that. Come on, Dodger fans. Trying to get live experiences here. Anyway, let's read the lines before we go to the Dodgers and other things. Guys, this episode's going to be a little bit longer than expected, so wait patiently. I'm sorry to the guys in the live, um, but keep talking amongst yourselves. Uh, I just got to you know keep my eye on the grind. No partner for me to get distracted with looking at your comments, but I will be answering everything. Don't you worry. But let's read the lines tonight. Marcus Moore Sr., 10 points. 3 of 7, 25 minutes. I want him to play a little bit more, shoot a little more, be looked for a little more on the offense because he's our second best ISO one-on-one scorer. Better than Reggie. Yes, I like seniors bag. Second to Paul George on this team, one-on-one. Zubats, 14 points, 4 of 7, 6 of 10 from the line, only 17 minutes. I thought he was actually pretty good. I think he's going to be better on Saturday, uh, especially if they're playing with Steven Adams. I think he'll be able to go toe-to-toe. Reggie Jackson, 39 minutes played. 11 points, 5 rebounds, 6 assists, but 4 of 19 from the field, 3 of 9 from 3. Also did not get a free throw attempt. So he's going to be better. Eric Bledsoe, what a you know debut, secondary debut, whatever you want to call it. 22 points, 3 steals. Some of those were fantastic on Curry off the ball and just, just being aware to loose balls. 10 of 16 from the field, 1 of 4 from 3. Here's the thing. He saw his first one go down, so he started fiending a little more. 4 is not that big a deal, but I want Bledsoe shooting as little threes as possible. I want him to keep attacking because one thing I noticed is that he's only seeing one defender. So if he gets that one defender, he's going to draw help, and we're going to have 
such spacing or just a zoo one guy in the paint. So he's going to be able to make much easier reads in the, in the Pelican system. He was making, if he had to do that, he was making two thousands reads and it takes special kinds of players to make two thousands reads correctly all the time. Um, but in this era, you know, it gives guys like Lou Williams ability to be unguardable in pick and roll with the spacing of modern NBA. So Eric Bledsoe will be tough in pick and roll as well. Uh, not the threat Lou Williams was, though. He can't shoot like that. But Eric was great. 10 of 16. Paul George was fantastic, but I think that we should have given him the ball more late in the game. 29 points, 12 of 23 from the field, 5 of 11 from 3. Three turnovers. Come of those, a couple of those came when we, they got blitzed. When he got blitzed, uh, pressured, and he's gonna he's gotta get more used to getting seeing those reads, getting two defenders coming at him hard, and just I you know making a quicker decision, or just keeping the ball keeping his dribble alive while giving himself enough time to look up and then make the decision. But yeah, let's look at the Warriors lines. It was the Curry show, forty five points, but twenty five of those came in the first quarter. So for the rest of the game, you scored twenty, which is less than it's less than seven a quarter. So I'm chilling with that, especially with no clay, you know, no real reliable. Jordan Poole has not proved to be reliable yet. And that was evident by tonight. Nine points, four of 14. I thought we were making it really tough on him. And I think we have better defenders than the Lakers in the perimeter. Eric Bledsoe being one, that's going to help having him. One of six from three for Poole. One air ball was really bad in transition. The same, One of the same shots he made against the Lakers, just on that right wing in transition. Other than that, Bielitsa, we did a great job of keeping in check. Only got six points in three of five. He just didn't get the same amount of looks. And I think part of that's because we played Steph Curry more straight up than the Lakers. Uh, and we still lost. So, you know, at the end of the day, Steph Curry has proved that no matter what, whether he's getting so much attention, he still won. Um, so much attention that he's, they're making other guys beat him, he still won. And then tonight we played him a little more straight up and we got burned too. So you got to love the way Curry's playing if you're a Warriors fan. 45 points, 10 rebounds. 16 of 25 from the field, and an incredible 8 of 13 from 3. The, probably the only player in the league that I like, one of the only players in the league that I like shooting 10-plus threes in a game. Andrew Wiggins, 17 points, 6 of 15 from the field, 3 of 6 from 3. I thought he was pretty good. Uh, was more quiet as the game went on, though. Draymond Green, I thought he actually had a really solid game because he finished around the rim well. 10 points, and we talked about that the other night, that he wasn't looking confident doing that. 10 points, 7 assists, 6 boards, 4 or 5 from the field. Warriors win, start out 2-0. Clips lose their opening game for the first time since the 2018-19 season where we lost to the Nuggets. But we will be back on Saturday night against the Scum, the Memphis Grizzlies. And don't ask why I call them the Scum. They're the Grizzlies, and any Clipper fan knows I do not like them. I don't care who they have. Anyway, I want to talk about the Bulls before we go on. The Chicago Bulls, guys. By the way, the Dodgers tied up the series. Shout out to A.J. Pollock and Chris Taylor for coming in so big. Uh, two homers for A.J. Pollock, three for CT3, pitching good as usual. Trey Turner even getting an RBI, but the offense came in clutch. And we'll see. We got Scherzer and Walker. Game six and seven in Atlanta. We've done it before, but not in Atlanta. So we'll see. It's going to be a real 3-1 comeback in front of the fans now if we can do it. One game at a time. We should be up 3-2 in this series, but it is what it is, right? Got to believe in the boys. Anyway, let's talk about the Bulls, guys. Okay, this is the most fascinating team in the NBA. And the reason why I say that is also it's very likable. Two USC players with DeRozan and Vooch. Two UCLA players with Levine and Lonzo. And, of course, Alex Caruso, who Laker fans are so big on and we've watched so much over the years. 
And I watched their game last night against the Pistons, and the Pistons are a very unchanged team. Cade Cunningham was not ready to go. So Killian Hayes, Jeremy Grant, Sadiq Bey, uh, Isaiah Stewart, just the young guys with the young guys that have been there. Uh, they also got some good additions in Corey Joseph, Kelly Olynyk that have some playoff experience. And I'm not saying that's going to do anything for them. I'm just saying that, you know, it can be tough on a given night. And it proved to be a little tough for the Bulls. And one thing about the Bulls is they're coming in with a totally new starting lineup. No Kobe White. No Lowry Markkinen. So you got Patrick Williams at the four, Vooch, DeRozan, Zach Levine, and Zoe. Totally new team. And it took some growing pains. And by the way, I really like the commentary duo of Adam Amin and Stacey King. Stacey King obviously played with Michael Jordan in that first three-peat. And he clearly has such passion for the Bulls. And I liked his, I liked his analysis. And he's just... You know, he's a Bulls guy, you know, and I love that about watching local broadcasts is just seeing how passionate and knowledgeable they can be about the team's tendencies. And I learned so much as opposed to the national broadcast. They're watching the same stuff we watch 12 games a season. These are the guys that are around the team, around the guys watching their every move. So I'm looking at the Bulls and it was a slow start on both ends offensively. But I will say this, this was a the, out of all the games I've watched so far this season, that Bulls game was the one that was officiated the most old school in the sense that they were letting a lot more contact off the ball than normally in this NBA. Um, and it was affecting affecting the players for sure. Uh, Detroit, one thing you're going to get with them is they have a bunch of young, hungry players, especially on a night like opening night where everybody's 0-0, zero and zero, you know, the expectations. Everybody is, you know, every team has a belief that they can make the playoffs. So, you know, you're going to get a lot of teams' best effort. If you're not ready to play on opening night, you shouldn't be in the league as far as I'm concerned. And Detroit was ready to go. And Jeremy Grant was was asserting himself in that first quarter more than anybody. But I thought that the Bulls are, you know, it's they're learning each other. And that's beautiful to watch, to see guys possession by possession try to get each other going. And I thought that Levine did a really good job of laying off and letting everyone get a touch letting DeRozan get his touches letting Vucevic get his touches and one thing Bulls fans I don't know if you got any Bulls fans if you're a Bulls fan drop some fucking comments people because I want to hear from you guys all season and interact with you guys the whistle was so bad against the Bulls in the first half especially the first quarter I think but yeah first half Vucevic wasn't getting calls and neither was DeRozan, but at the same, mostly Vucevic, but at the same time, I thought because they weren't getting calls, they were trying to fiend the whistle too much and just going up a little bit soft. And I thought Vooch was going up soft in that first half and he can be a problem defensively because as Asher said in the preview, his feet aren't very good. He's a little slow footed, but he's also one of those big men, big men that, you know, I, I noticed he was dropping too deep on a, a lot of guys' drives because I think he's afraid of getting beat off foot speed if he steps up, that he's inviting them to come into him, and he's not very athletic, and he doesn't really get off the ground. So a lot of these guards are just going into his chest and getting what they want at the rim. And I think that a lack of rim protection could be a theme for the Bulls with Vooch, and especially if he's going up a little soft and going like 08 Pau Gasol style. But I will say this. DeRozan's mid-range... Like, here's the thing about DeRozan. In this era, he has an ability to go one-on-one in the mid-range area with much less help defense. So the same load-ups and the same congestion that there used to be with mid-ranges and often seeing two bodies um, in your periphery or just two bodies when you turn or do whatever, now he's only seeing one body. And if he can get to that mid... And I don't think that the lack of three-point shooting is what DeRozan 
uh, it prevented him from being like a star, star, superstar. I think it's a, it's a mental thing, and I think it's that when the defense probably loaded up and gets more physical, he probably folds a little more. And I saw that his finishing was a little suspect. I thought that he was getting he wanted the whistle too much, and you know just didn't finish around the rim. But his mid range looks great. I love his fundamentals. His footwork is gr- are great. I thought that just the Bulls weren't getting a chance to speed up the pace, and that's one thing that's going to come with stops and getting turnovers is getting out and running, and that's when this team is going to be the best because they have really good athletes, except for Vucevic. Pat Williams is a long athletic guy. He's young. Zach Levine is Zach Levine. We all know his resume in terms of athleticism. DeRozan's older, but he still is athletic, and Lonzo, you just, this is, Lonzo's born on the fast break. Chino Hills, uh, UCLA, we, we saw it, and we thought that we, was gonna, we were going to see that with the Lakers. We did not really... Uh, we saw that a little bit in the first year. Then LeBron came, and you know you know how the tempo goes. But Lonzo is great in transition, and I don't think the Bulls, except for one play in the first quarter where they scored in transition, they didn't get to do that in the first half, and that's part of why the, the pace was slow and part of why the scoring was so low. You go to that game and you look at the scores, it looked like a 2000s, uh, early 2000s game with, with uh, the halftime score of that one. It was 44 to 40 in favor of Detroit in that second quarter. And somebody who I, and I honestly think that Lonzo in the beginning of the game, he was doing this thing that I saw him do in New Orleans a lot, where he thinks like the only shot that he needs to take is a three. Just catch and shoot, even if he's not wide open. If I get it on a catch and shoot, I don't care if I'm 28 feet away, I'm going to just shoot a three. No, 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 no. Lonzo needs to chill and shoot wide open threes and also stop underestimating his ability to get to the basket. He's a 6'6 athletic point guard with a handle. Try to get to the basket, man. Vucevic can shoot and stretch it out to mid-range and 18 feet. So it, the floor will be spread for him in ways. DeRozan is a question. Patrick Williams is a question. How often can they make the open shot? Um, but here's the thing. Even if DeRozan and Vuce just sag in a little bit to 18 feet, 16 feet, you still got to make a decision as the helper. It is a little bit easier to rotate, but Lonzo can still put pressure on the defense. And I think that in the first half, he was not doing that at all. But the second quarter... Zach Levine and Nikola Vucevic started getting going with this two-man game on the left side of the court. And Levine, guys, we saw with Devin Booker last year, he, um, Devin Booker put himself in the Donovan Mitchell-Jason Tatum conversation last year, playoffs regular season combined. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm making this determination on day one. Asher said in the, in the live as superstar, superstar. Zach Levine, I'm not saying he'll be as good or better than those guys by the end of the season, but he will be in this discussion by the end of the season. I am promising you of that. His offensive game has come so far, guys, I can't even begin to describe it. Scoring at three levels, scoring in the pick and roll. So this is how you start to attack, right? Because they were starting to throw two at him on the pick and roll, you know, show him the attention he deserves. Vucevic rolling got, you know, a nice, uh, you know, stop at 16 feet. He can pick and pop for that mid-range or roll to just the mid-range. He doesn't even have to go all the way to the basket. He can shoot that mid-range. And when he doesn't have to go to the basket, that gives Levine more of an open lane and makes you make a decision to throw two on him. And it's harder to rotate back. And another one where he just got a nice uh, roll right, curled, you know, rolled right out to the foul line and shot a nice little push shot. So Zach Levine... Making, I can see a lot of potential with that pick and roll of Vucevic or pick and pop of Vucevic. But then he start, they started respecting Vucevic. And when Levine came off the screen, he can explode to the basket. His athleticism is phenomenal. But his jumper, man, and the elevation he gets on it, 
he, there was one play in the third quarter, and it was the third quarter where he really took over, and that was the best quarter for the Bulls, in my opinion. Uh, they outscored the Pistons 31-25, and that's when this game really got cracking. Because you And the defense, by the way, for the Bulls was fantastic. Lonzo's defense, great. Zach Levine is going to be like Booker. He finally has teammates that are going to give him support where he actually has a chance to make the playoffs. So now he's going to try to actually play defense because he's motivated. And he had this one block on a jump shot, just stand still, just off, all off vertical on some reminding me of Dr. J, literally. And he had this play in the third quarter where he was like he was cooking, man. Some of the finishes he had, he threw up this left-handed and one off the glass that was just ridiculous. But my favorite play is, you know, he's not much of a post-up player. He's more of a face-up guy, as most guys are in the league, but he's very face-up. Like, Devin Booker even likes to go to the post more. He had this one play where he was, like, 18 feet away, turned over his left shoulder, got such good elevation on it, splash. Nothing but the bottom of the net. I know this sounds crazy, but dare I say, just on that one play, Jordan-esque. Like, he has come so far and guys i'm telling you right now this game was slower this game was more half court and this man scored 34 points like it was nothing 11 of 17 from the field one of five from three and you wouldn't even have noticed it 11 of 11 from the line and i thought that late in the game honestly i thought the bulls the reason why they're and by the way the reason why this game really changed though was not just levine lonzo ball and this is what i realized lonzo ball is going to be the difference in this bulls team and how far they can go and how dangerous they can be. When he's playing confidently, and it's I'm not talking about if he's making the three or if he's he's always going to give you defense, but just the way he, his body language, his decision-making, how aggressive he is and how aggressive he looks, it's you can see it when you watch Zoe play. He's such a confidence player. And when he made, in the beginning, he was like fumbling layups. Like he would be under the basket. He's like, oh, let me kick it out a guy for a three, even though like, you know, you know those situations where you're under the basket playing basketball and you don't know if a guy's coming from behind, but you should probably just go up with it. But you're like, oh, I mean, I'm not trying to go up and get that contact. I'm trying to kick it out because this guy's open. Lonzo will be making those extra unselfish plays. He was doing some of that in that first two and a half quarters. But when he saw this one three go in, other threes went in. He shot a running bank shot going left, similar to LeBron's game winner against the Raptors in the 2018 playoffs. You know, and you know Lonzo can dish when he also is getting attention. And there were much more fast breaks. And Lonzo looked so confident. He was aggressive. He was all over the place. And you can see in his body language. You can see with the fist he was throwing uh, like just in the air. Like, he was just pumped. And I'm telling you, Bulls fans, he will be the key to this team. He will unlock them and take them places if he continues to play with the way he was in that second half. And another guy, on the, this is the last I'm going to talk about the Bulls. They did end up winning. And it was such a great first game because it was not perfect and it shouldn't be perfect in your first game because when you play perfectly in your first game like the bucks did against the i don't even know if that was bucks but let's say the heat tonight i didn't watch their game but i think that's a little bit of fool's gold to be beating them by 40 yeah drew holiday i don't think he played but first game when your team rolls on all cylinders can be a lot of fool's gold that was a much more accurate representation of what it's actually going to be like with the Bulls. It's going to take time to adjust to playing with each other. And I think at times, late in the game, DeRozan was trying to get his a little too much down the stretch. It's Levine's team. He needs to get the ball at the end of the games. Like, it, you know, it needs to be Levine. DeRozan is good, um, but yeah, it's got to be Zach. And I thought that Vucevic was better as the game went on, but he didn't have a very good game. He still got some good, a lot of rebounds. 15 points, 15 rebounds, 4 assists. Um, I would say it felt like around 10 rebounds, but you know how some of these rebounds be in today's NBA. The 
floor spread. 7 of 21 for Vooch. Didn't have a good night shooting the ball. Didn't have a great game. But I thought that he's going to be, you know, he's going to be better and he's very valuable for this team. DeRozan, 17 points, 7 boards. Thought he had a really solid game, but he didn't get to the line at all, really. 0 for 2 from the line. 8 of 17, though. He was efficient and I liked his shots. Um, Pat Williams, he only got three shot attempts up, but I thought that his energy on defense was good. Lonzo, 12 points, six boards, four assists, five of 12 from the field, two of six from three. I think too many threes, honestly. I don't think 50% of his shots from beat should be from three. I think Zoe has a lot more potential than that. Zach, though. And oh, one problem with the Bulls, though, their bench. Outside of Caruso, who, by the way, his offense just... Caruso has the IQ of a star, but he doesn't have the skill of a star offensively. And, like, he gets, he knows where to get. Like, you know, he doesn't have a great handle. He has a good handle. He know he can still be serviceable in those pick and rolls as the ball handler, but he doesn't, he doesn't, like, score enough for you to give him attention to let him make easy reads, if you guys know what I'm saying. Like, he gets into a nice floater or a mid-range, but he just doesn't make it very much. You know, he's not that great of an offensive player. One of five, but his hustle, man, is ridiculous. Like, he's straight up one of the best defenders in the league. I don't care how much you grill me for that. Laker fans will back me up on that. He is one of the best defenders in the league. His instinct, his lateral quickness, his... Like, he's the first to get to a loose ball. He's good off the ball. He just makes all the right plays defensively. He has exceptional hands. He guards great players. He guards good players. He knows where to be. Point blank, he just gets it. He just gets it, and he is going to help the Bulls get in the playoffs. And all those people that said, look, Laker fans definitely, there's a joke about him. If you were a Laker fan, you would overrate him too because he's hilarious. He's a bald white dude that has more athleticism than you think. But his defense, you and again, you will never tell by the stats. That's why you got to watch the games. Caruso's defense, if you watch him play, man, it is up there with the best in the league. I'm telling you, it is. He has such, he just, just has great instincts and great hands. And he, he, I will say this though about Caruso. He does have a tendency to get in foul trouble because he does play really aggressive off ball. He had five fouls. But one thing I will say about AC, he plays such good defense without hand checking too. Because like a lot of guys will get away with it in this era when they have like the reputation of being a good defender and hand check. But Caruso, man, he moves his feet. But a great win for the Bulls because ultimately that's all that matters that they got out of there with the win, and they did. And they're going to be playing the Pelicans tomorrow night, which should be another W because no Zion who needs to get in the gym and get his ass on the treadmill. 310 plus? Come on, buddy. That gumbo, I know it's good. Actually, I don't know. I haven't been to New Orleans, so I don't know. But you got to chill. But anyway, Celtics and Knicks, by the way, I'm going to end it off this. Jesus Christ. This is the longest, probably will be the longest recap uh, audio-wise all season long. But Knicks and Celtics, what a game. How amazing is it to see a full freaking Madison Square Garden, man. Full MSG pumped, ready to go. Kemba Walker, it's just so cool to see him in New York colors and just how excited he is to be there. And the oohs and ahs he gets on every dribbling move. Like I think that stuff will give you confidence. Like like even if he's not the same that he used to be, just hearing that like ooh and ah and when he makes a shot will just give him that confidence and uh to be better. Julius Randle, I thought he started out scorching, but then he started falling in love with the three too much a little bit in that first half. And Jalen Brown was going God mode. Oh my lord. If anybody watched that game, this dude was looking like O3 McGrady. He was pulling up 
from like he just was making every shot he took like all three levels a lot of threes but like when he's making it why not just keep throwing them up there they're threes and <laughs> twos like he was in everything everything which led to the Celtics having a 35-29 lead after one uh, one thing about the Knicks is that they can be a little stagnant at times offensively and when, when I thought they started falling in love with a lot of tough threes uh, as that as that first quarter went, uh, went on Second quarter, especially Julius, um, but second quarter, Jalen just still continued his onslaught. It was actually ridiculous, but the, the fun came in the second half. Julius Randle started just playing phenomenally, turnarounds over the right shoulder, but I really like when Julius goes back to his Kentucky days and just goes bully ball and balances it out. That's what's important, and I thought that he found a really great balance uh, last night, really great balance. Especially as the game went on, he was really asserting himself. And I think that Jason Tatum, just like in the beginning of the game, was taking a lot of contested threes, which we've talked about so many times with JT. And the problem with, that I have with JT is he just doesn't seem to know when to quit. This is five years now. This is fifth year in the NBA. He needs to realize that when this three is not falling, get in the mid-range. See, it used to be back in, I, I sound ridiculous because I'm only 23 years old, but back when I was learning how to play basketball, when your jumper isn't falling, they hit to go to the rim. Now it's when your three isn't falling, go to the mid-range and shoot another jumper. Dude, the fool is 6'9". Like, you see all the built-in excuses I'm making with this era? Nah, get to the rim, fool. You're 6'9". Jason Tate and long, long arm, 7-foot wingspan. So, Jason Tatum needs to stop falling in love with that contested three and I thought that in the second half Jalen deferred too much to him because they wanted to get him going and it just he he couldn't get going and Dennis Schroeder who's I think is going to be I think honestly he'll end up being the sixth man of the year straight up I think he'll be the sixth man of the year didn't have the best game he was five of 16 and you know what Laker fans know Dennis is going to have nights like that but he's also going to have nights when he's 10 of 15 and he's going to put pressure on your defense uh, pressure on, yeah, pressure on your defense by getting to the rim, and he's going to play good defense. And that's one thing about Dennis, he always competes. And Celtics fans, I want to let you guys know right now, he is not reliable as a catch-and-shoot guy. He is not a catch-and-shooter. He's much more comfortable coming off for that right elbow mid-range or going all the way to the basket going right. He is not a very good catch-and-shoot guy. He will make them occasionally, but that is not reliable. In the playoffs, Last, you know, minute, clock winding down, Dennis Schroeder open three. I am not putting my stock in that. I'd rather have a contested shot for Tatum and Jalen. Um, Jalen, though, yeah, deferred too much for me. I thought, though, in the third quarter, the Knicks really got going with, you know, they're going to bring that good defense. OB Toppin in transition, and his athleticism just looked great. Lobs, there was one really nice lob thrown by Derrick Rose on a pick and roll. But in transition, OB got an and one. Nice, you know, controlled finish. But there's a guy, Mitchell Robinson, by the way, 11.17 rebounds, making his return two blocks. He's going to be great. And when they get Nerlens Noel back, they're going to have two of the better rim protectors in the league. And the Knicks, like I had them in the in the sixth spot, making the you know playoff spots locked. And I think that that's because of their defense. And I just think that they have an overall solid team. And the Garden crowd is going to be so optimistic now that it's like every game is just going to feel big. And there's nothing better than being a Nick when they're actually competitive. 
Um, there's nothing. There's nothing better than being in the NBA and being on the Knicks when they're good. Like it's like Lakers, Knicks, Celtics. Take your pick. Those big market teams, even Chicago, Miami, and dare I say, my Clippers. And it's true. No matter what you say, when you're when people have thri- thrived on the Clippers, they don't really want to leave. Chris Paul wanted to leave because he needed to put himself in a worse situation to win a championship. But given the when Chris Paul first got to the Clippers from the New Orleans Pel- uh, Hornets. He was like he re-signed immediately because it's a big market and there's nothing better than being great in a big market. Same with New York. So Evan Fournier, by the way, was doing by the way, Obi Toppin, 14 points, five rebounds, six of nine in 28 minutes was great. But Evan Fournier was the reason why Derrick Rose only got 22 minutes, why Alec Burks only got 16 minutes, why Emmanuel Quickly only got eight minutes. Because he was phenomenal. Every aspect of the game. Defense, he was moving his feet well, taking hits to the chest. And this game was a a well-officiated game. Modern officiating, you know, some ticky-tack calls, some hand-checking allowed, but then weird calls that shouldn't have been called to make up for that. So, overall, though, no complaints. Evan Fournier was phenomenal. As I said, on defense, he was, you know, coming up with steals. How many steals did this guy have? Four steals! Four steals for Evan Fournier. And his jumper was hitting off screens. He was hitting in the mid-range. He was getting to the basket. He was just literally making every right play you could ask for. And it looked like the Knicks had this game in the back because Julius Randle took over. But then I saw one of the craziest finishes I've seen in a while. Kemba Walker turned the ball over two times in like the last 30 seconds. Jalen Brown hits a near half-court shot. And I thought that you know Tatum started to get going a little bit in the second half. But the problem with these Celtics, and they've had the same problem for five years, going back to the 2018 Game 7 against the Cavs that they lost, they don't know when to quit shooting threes. And I think that it starts from the top. Tatum needs to figure this out now. Devin Booker did not do this in the playoffs last year, and that's why he made the finals. Jalen Brown has a chance to overtake him as the best Celtic if he does not learn when to stop shooting threes when they're not falling. Listen to this. Jason Tatum was... 2 of 15 from 3. He was 7 of 30 from the field. That means he was 2 of 15 from 2 as well. But I think he took himself out of rhythm taking threes. I remember, this was late in the game. I think it was in overtime, actually. So, yeah, Jalen Brown hits the 3. And then, you know, um, yeah, he hits the 3. And then... They, uh, the Knicks, I think, make two free throws, and Marcus Smart hits a three. Terrible play by Evan Fournier, though, by doubling Jason Tatum for no reason. Kemba Walker got caught in no man's land thinking Dennis Schroeder was going to shoot the three, and Dennis made a really nice extra pass, and Marcus Smart made the three. We go to overtime. They exchange threes. Evan Fournier, Jalen Brown, it was a duel, Old West style. But Jason Tatum shot two threes in a row. He missed the second one with 11 on the shot clock, and then the next possession, he gets to the basket and gets an and one, taking it to the basket, and he scores. Like, shocker, JT, come on. And I'm only saying this because I like Jason Tatum so much, and you Celtics fans that know me know it. Dime Jumper fam knows it. There's a reason why I have a Jason Tatum shirt. That's the only Celtic... Yeah, I'm not going to say that. But I got it because it, it's the only reason it's a current player and I have it is because it was a souvenir when I went to the game, my first Celtics game. 2018 and TD Garden is rookie year and I knew he was going to be special. He is going to be special and he is special, but he needs to be smarter. He needs to mature as a leader. This team will only go as far as their stars take them. And Jason Tatum is the reason that one of the reasons they lost in the East Conference Finals to the Heat because of that, but it was okay because it was third year. Fourth year, we saw improvement in skill, 
not much improvement in decision making. This needs to be a year where he takes a step because Jalen Brown is taking steps right in front of our eyes. And before you know it, he's going to be right there leading the Celtics in points. Maybe. That was maybe a little bit of an overreaction. Jason Tatum's going to bounce back. He's going to have a great game. He's going to have a great season. Um, but I think that the Celtics need to figure out when to quit shooting threes. Dennis Schroeder is going to keep getting better. I also saw, a very encouraged with what I saw with Romeo Langford. But ultimately, Jason Tatum, I think, cost them the game with just that. You know, Jalen Brown was wide open on the left wing in that double overtime session. Didn't get the ball. I just think JT forced it. Seven for 30. You know, Jalen Brown was 16 for 30. And there's just no way that they should be shooting the same amount of shots when... Jalen's on fire, 46 points, 9 rebounds and 6 assists, 3 steals, like he was ridiculous, 16 of 30, 8 of 14 from 3, Jason Tatum is 7 of 30, 2 of 15 from 3, and yeah, only 5 free throw attempts for JT, not enough, you know, that's not, he shouldn't be shooting that much, Grant Williams actually was part of the reason that the Celtics got back in the game in the 4th quarter, because he was making his open 3s, and he's going to get those looks all season long, and his defense was fantastic, but when Horford comes back, it's going to be much more interesting to see how this Celtics team looks, because he's undoubtedly going to get more minutes than Grant, Grant though did play well defensively, and this Celtics team did look great defensively, and Ime Udoka, I wouldn't say great, they look good defensively, and Ime Udoka clearly seems like he's incorporating more off-ball actions and a more creative offense. I think that this Celtics team is going to be as good as I said. They're going to be above the Knicks. They're going to be the four seed. And, um, yeah, they're going to be the four seed. No, I'm sorry. They're going to be the five seed, Knicks in the six seed. So that's just my prediction for them. Um, but, yeah, that was an amazing first game, an amazing win for the Knicks, an amazing win for the Knicks. So, yeah, that's it for me tonight, guys. I am going to go to the. Um, I'm gonna go to the uh, to the live subscribers now. Thanks for joining me. Jesus Christ, 58 minutes of just me talking straight. If you were able to get through this, you are truly a huge fan of mine, uh, and I love you uh, so much. Thanks for listening. It won't be this long in the future. Forgive me. Peace.